Welcome to Schneider Electric's The Good, The Bad and The Beautiful Podcast. Every month, you will be joined by me, Carmel, me, Emma, and me, Rob, who will talk about real experiences from real people with some special guests along the way. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. Hello, everyone. We are back for another great episode and with another fabulous guest. We will be joined by Alice to discuss the importance of breaking barriers and some key things we can be doing to support and make changes. But first, seeing as it was Mental Health Awareness Week last month, let's get into how you all are and how you're getting on with your wellbeing habits. Rob, Carmel, how's it going? Hi, everyone. So, yeah, back again. Really excited for today's episode. Before I go into that, I want to really quickly delve a bit more into the Mental Health Awareness Week because the focus was really about tackling loneliness. So one in four adults feel lonely, some or all of the time, and there's no single cause and there's no one solution for it because, after all, as we know, we're all different. But... The longer we feel lonely, the more we are at risk of mental health problems. So it's time to be honest, guys. Have we ever felt lonely? I have, actually. And it's a weird one because I live with my husband. I live with my child. And I think it was more to do when I had just um, given birth to Jorvan. And obviously the whole everyone came to see me. Great. Da, da, da. And then it was when everyone peeled off and it was just me and Jorvan. And obviously, yes, I had him. You know, he couldn't talk much. But I just felt super lonely. I mean, I made myself go out every single day, rain or shine, I would put that boy into a buggy. But even thinking about it now, I yeah, was a bit emotional about it, actually. I, yeah, it was super lonely. Just felt like I was, yeah, that no one else was there. And that's the thing that I tried to contract that with, you know, I got out, got up every day, went out with him, did activities with him, but it was more for him. It wasn't really for me, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then when there were other people around, it felt like because I was so busy thinking about him, I wasn't ever present either. So yeah. I think that just made it a bit worse as well. So, yeah. Yeah, and no, it definitely resonates with me. It's tough, isn't it? Because I was thinking about this, right? And I don't think I've ever told anyone that I'm lonely. But I can think back to points in my life where, yeah, I probably was. And I wanted to touch on this a little bit more because I actually had someone come to me very recently after after I'd been looking at this issue and, you know, Mental Health Awareness Week. And we were catching up and I said, yeah, I'm good. But, you know, sometimes I just feel a bit lonely. And it's not actually very often anyone's ever really said that to me. And it, it did actually take me a bit surprised even after kind of reading up on it and stuff. And, you know, the timing felt a bit strange as well. And if they hadn't said anything, I wouldn't have known. So, of course, we had a bit of a chat about it afterwards. And then we've made some plans to catch up and do some stuff. And, yeah, it just kind of worried me that this is someone I was quite close to. And I had no idea how they were feeling. And it's actually quite a difficult thing to open up about, right? So there are loads of tips out there on the kind of things you can do with fighting loneliness, like keeping yourself busy with hobbies or interests, taking on mentally stimulating activities, which, by the way, I recently did a jigsaw and I do not recommend it. Absolute torture. Horrible. I love them. Hey, they're great. No. My son's oh, no. doing them now. Horrendous. Or pets as well. Pets are another thing. So I have my little pet Rocket, my little cat. He keeps me company during work days. He's always close by. And those are little things that help me. But I think it was just a bit of an eye-opener, the whole experience, right? From reading up about it to self-reflection and then actually having that conversation. It's like, yeah, this is something that we don't talk about very often. No, I agree. No. And I think we've got to remember that 
you can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. It's not the stereotypical you're at home on your own all the time and then you feel lonely because that is true as well. And I felt that mm-hmm. I think throughout the pandemic a little bit when you everyone's working from home and you're on your own and definitely my dogs have saved me in that space of keeping me company. But you can be someone who's always with people all the time and surrounded by people and still feel loneliness as well. So I think we've got to remember that. I think it's important one to think about as well, because actually, sometimes it's also definitely, you know, loneliness is such a big impact on us. But it's also thinking about, I think, if you think about it, we've actually been in doctrine that we also need someone to not make us feel lonely. We need a pet, we need a person. But actually, sometimes it's actually just being comfortable within yourself. And sometimes, and I think I went through that a lot, as in just like, you're on your own, oh, I need to phone someone. And so I did this yesterday, actually. I was just so like, oh my God, this has happened. Something happened at work. And I was like, I need to phone someone. And I just talked to myself because, you know, I do that randomly. And I was like, actually, come on, let's just talk to yourself a bit. So I should just talk to myself a bit. But actually, I think it's also a bit about being comfortable with yourself and saying that's okay too. So it's a bit of both, isn't it? It's, it's having someone to be able to talk to, but also being comfortable in your own mindset and your own mind and being okay with it and actually being okay with a bit of silence. I think I'm dealing with that a lot now and I'm trying to overcome that and being actually that's all right, you know, being content with it. And I think it's something we just maybe all could try and work more towards. And that's what actually comes into our well-being. You know, I'm trying to get more comfortable with that, right? So I'm just doing little techniques like, yeah, talking to myself a lot more compared to what I used to do. But also for me, meditation works. So I try that a lot too. Yeah. And not to mention my running. So I'm still going on with that compared to the, you know, from the last episode. It's just my me time. Do you know what I mean? Just me and my music. And that's it. And I just leg it. And also I end it on 21 seconds. If anyone's heard that song, really motivates me right at the end. I'm like, just go for it. Calm out. 21 seconds. By So Solid Crew, if anyone has never heard of that. Yeah, old school. Yep. Yep. So I end on that song and it just really pumps me up. But yeah, no, that's my two cents on loneliness and, and well-being today. How about you guys? I think actually, funnily enough, a bit of me time is what I've started to do as well. I've been trying lots of, you know, like we've talked about some tips and habits in the past that you read and there are advantages of it. But sometimes you've got to do a bit of what what you like, haven't you? And I think I realised that I wasn't really making that space for myself. So I've been trying to just build that in, you know, even if it's just for half an hour in a day, what do I fancy doing at that point? And then I'll just go and do it. So there's no real structure to it other than I'm just trying to block a bit of time out to do what I want to do for a little bit because I felt I've really needed that right now. Yeah, I agree. It's important to do things for yourself. And funny you say jigsaws are torture, Rob, because my confession is that I like to do a jigsaw a day. I know, I know, total jigsaw geek. But it is on my phone, to be fair, and it's like a a 400-piece one I try to do every day. But actually, I find it quite soothing and I can zone out of the day and it's an achievement each time I do it, to be honest. So... It may be torture for you, but I literally love doing jigsaws. Always have done. But now I've taken it to the digital world and do it on my phone. So as long as you enjoy it, as long as you enjoy it, (laughs) mine was thousands and it all looked the same. And it just felt like it was another job on my to-do list. And and it was on my dining room table for about two weeks. And I I lost patience with it. So (laughs) fair enough. Fair enough. So this month, month of June, is all about embracing diversity. 
And as we celebrate our LGBT plus community with pride, I just want to add in here that it's not just a one month a year thing. This should be all year round. And here at Schneider, we strive to continuously create an inclusive environment for everybody, which is fantastic. But this year is actually a great milestone for Pride in the UK. We are celebrating the 50th anniversary from when the first official Pride event took place. And I believe this was in 1972. So as you all know, I'm a huge ally for this community and for all. And it's really important for me to continually show support, spread the positivity around this as much as I can, and obviously just continue to learn. So I will, in fact, be at Newcastle Pride in July doing just that with my group of friends. But, you know, what does this mean for you all? Like, what are you doing in this space? So it's good that you mentioned that, I think, actually. And it's important to say that it's Yes, it's brilliant to highlight it within Pride Month, but also to to actually, you know, live through it without the year. I think that's super important. And for me, it's really focusing on educating myself how I can be an ally, but also for my son, Jorvan. So I try to do that on a daily basis because, you know, he always loves his books and things like that. But I've tried to really diversify his reading books. So, for example, you know, Jorvan will have minimum five books a day read to him because he absolutely loves them. And for example, one of the books that we're reading at the moment is Julian at the Wedding. Now, Julian at the Wedding is by an amazing author called Jessica Love, and it really portrays such an amazing array of characters. It's about two women getting married, but really the key message there is acceptance and spreading love, really, which I think is just absolutely beautiful. And I think because of his environment that he is in, he may not get exposed to certain environments, etc. So I really try and educate him in that way. And, you know, and, and I think for me, it's all about acceptance, right? And for this year, what we've decided as a family is that, and it's the first time for me and my husband too, but we're actually going to go to the parade in London on July 2nd, and we're taking Jorvin with us. And I think just it's, it's important to see him, for him to see and myself also to see things outside of our environment. So that's what we're doing. Rob, what about you? Well, I think we always talk about education, don't we? And it's and it's still so, so important because I think we can always do more and learn more and make that little bit of effort. And I think that's what, what I'm noticing at the moment, I think it's really great. And I think most people would agree with me as well, is that we're seeing more and more LGBT plus representation in the media as well. So, you know, TV adverts, they represented same-sex couples, for example. I saw the latest Marvel film the other day and that had same-sex parents in there as well. You see transgender women featuring in cosmetic adverts and all that kind of thing. It's that kind of day-to-day exposure that's really good for representation. I think it's like you said, like with Jordan and stuff, like he's going to grow up with this just being a part of everyday life, right? Yeah. And I, I, th- I think it's yeah, really absolutely. cool to see. I really, I think it's really cool to see, especially how far it's come in the last few years. Yeah, it's definitely grown and we are moving in the right direction for sure. And starting young is the best way to do it because it is just part of their everyday life. They know no different. So it's really about time we dive into the main topic of today, which is breaking barriers. Now, the world has changed a tremendous amount, but there are still many barriers or should I say many obstacles potentially preventing us moving forward to create true equality for everybody. And with this month, we also celebrate International Women in Engineering Day. So I think this is perfect time to bring in our very own Alice, who is extremely passionate about all things breaking barriers. 
Alice joined us as a, a graduate a few years back now and has since gone on to wonderful things. So welcome, Alice. Thanks, Emma. So I'm a project manager currently in our hub execution centre in Power Systems, and I manage a range of projects that encompass a variety of Schneider's offers. Previous to that, I was on the graduate scheme at Schneider. And then before that, I did mechanical engineering at the University of Manchester. Fabulous. So let's get straight to it then. We'd like to understand really from your perspective, why you think it's so important to break down barriers and, you know, what does that mean to you? So I think there's so many reasons to break down barriers. We work in an industry where there are huge skill gaps, age gaps, huge diversity imbalances, and all of these barriers impede change. So diversity is crucial in order to be able to move forward. And I've actually got a few facts that kind of... We love facts, Alice. Hit us up. I have a lot of facts that consolidate that. So for example, while I was doing some of my research, I found as of August 2020, Fortune Global's list listed that only 13 women, so 2.6%, were CEOs of Fortune Global 500 companies, and all of them were white. Wow. So that really highlights, you know, the lack of women, but not only the lack of women, but the lack of diverse women. Mm. Yeah. That's a opener, isn't it? Yeah. But it is, yeah, because you just don't, you think that there's a low representation, but you don't realise how much that is till you yeah. see facts like that. Yeah, exactly. It makes it a reality, doesn't it? It's it's not just something people talk about. It's like, no, this, this is truth. Here's the numbers. Mm. And you go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And as you go up in the hierarchy, you go from like support staff where 47% are women, managers to 37%, and then execs, you go to about 23%. And then as you get higher, there's a lesser percentage, which I guess in the current environment is hardly surprising. But we're really moving towards, you know, creating more change. And I read somewhere that diversity is crucial for innovation. So in a global study, 85% of corporate diversity and talent leaders agree that a diverse and inclusive workforce is crucial to encouraging different perspectives and ideas that drive innovation and companies are 15% more likely to perform better if they are gender diverse. And I think it's all about getting that different perspective, isn't it? Because that was actually going to be one of my questions. So thanks for answering that. But I think people would be like, so what? Like they worked hard for that job, et cetera. And and as does everyone. But the point of having a a diverse set of, well, a workforce in general and those that lead from the top is also because those that lead from the top set the vision. They work obviously with hopefully with their employees, but they set that vision, right? And if you're just getting one point of view from it, then that's very different to if you had a diverse broad set of, you know, senior executives that are looking down and be like, no, well, have you thought of this? Because they've all had different experiences. And I think that's the key, isn't it? You've got different experiences, things in your life journey that will actually change the way you think, the way you work, et cetera, for your diverse workforce, right? Exactly. And I think also as we're getting more women into, you know, higher roles and things like that, there's also another issue that COVID brought about, So I read that a report by Tech Radius showed that the pandemic had a huge effect on women in tech. So 5% of male tech professionals were laid off due to the pandemic compared to 8% of female. And this is quite a disappointing statistic that can be due to many factors. But the most likely reason is probably because the women had less seniority than men in those companies. And the pandemic just further highlighted that. Yeah, it's quite scary looking at these facts, to be honest. Well, hearing about them because we all know that we are slightly behind as women in the workplace. But when you see figures like that, it's like, wow. 
exactly. But as we start to work more, well, start working and doing more things like STEM, we begin to kind of close those barriers. And 46.4% of girls 11 to 14 would consider a career in engineering compared to 70.3% of boys. But once you get to 16 to 18 year olds, that reduces to 25.4% of girls. So it pretty much halves compared to 51.9% of boys, which is quite quite a big change. In all STEM A-levels, excluding chemistry, more girls get A-star to C grades than boys for further maths, ICT and design tech. So girls are basically, as they get older, getting put off STEM yes. subjects somehow. Exactly. They're just lo- it's losing traction with them. It's probably, you know, around the education piece, but still that stereotype of it's a male-dominated area. That's a shame that there's actually such a high percentage actually at the start who want to go into it and take an interest and then it drops so dramatically. But also it's a society thing, I think, as well, no? What do you guys think? Like, it's not the norm, is it? And obviously that's not the path that normally young women would, would take. And so if it's not the norm, maybe that's a kind of, you know, barrier for them to be like, oh, okay, maybe I should do this. And it's all about the should instead of actually, do you know what? Forget that. And yeah, so I think it's society and definitely education, as you said, Emma. I think awareness and representation come back into it, don't they? You know, are you aware of the opportunities that exist out there for, if, if you're interested in that topic? And do you see other people, you know, like you doing those kind of jobs? Because if you're not aware of what you could do, you don't see other people like you doing it, it's going to put you off, isn't it? Exactly. And talking of awareness and the STEM subject overall, it'd be good to understand from your background as an engineer, how you found yourself in this career path and, you know, what your thoughts are around the the awareness piece or lack of it. So I think it's, I got lucky in the sense that my parents and people who influenced me while I was growing up were interested in engineering be it cars or or whatever and I got to join in you know sit go to car shows silly things like that but things that got me involved that maybe you know other people don't have the opportunity to do and also as I grew up I moved countries and that really interested me so I began to see things around me that were different to what we do in the UK I mean a really simple thing being in Asia they use bamboo scaffolding instead of traditional steel And there's so many reasons for it, but they can go up so many floors. It's really elegant. It's sustainable, flexes in high winds and just things like that. But things that you don't see in the UK and just the way things can be done differently in other countries really kind of got me thinking. And I love taking things apart and just making things. I just all that kind of thing really I found really interesting when I was younger. And I think even finding an interest in STEM subjects can simply be something like enjoying cooking or gardening because you start with something, you start with a load of material and you come up with an end product that other people want to use or want to enjoy. And I think that's really, really important because you need to be able to recognise skills that maybe are more transferable, that young people won't necessarily know that it's engineering they're interested in. Because like you say, it's not really talked about in school. You don't have engineering as a core subject. And as you get older, it begins to become more targeted towards maybe men and more so is what I've experienced. I mean, I don't know about you. I think for me, there's a couple of kind of ways you can look at this, right? So I think there's on one hand, you know, do you actively get put off 
careers in engineering or subjects in engineering when you're at school, you know, maybe because of gender or, or whatever reason that might be. Because I, I mean, I can't get my head around the idea of that, right? Because I've never really kind of faced that challenge in my life in terms of a school or, you know, my superiors doing that for me anyway. One example I will give is when I was at school, I was actually really good at textiles when I was in year seven. I made a cushion cover that got sent to the headmaster because it was that good. Yeah, I was going to leave that there. How, well, how strange, up. right? How strange. But I know that if I'd have got to year 10, when I take up my options, if I'd have gone, I want to do textiles, the amount of stick I'd have got from my friends and peers would have been insane. And that kind of comes down to, uh, I think, the point you were making earlier, Carmel, about, you know, maybe things not being normal. Like, is it normal mm. for a boy to want to go and do textiles? So, you know, you look at some of the the other activities out there. So I guess, you know, as a female, do you have those kind of pressures in your friendship circles and things like that? Or is it kind of resistance from teachers and things as well? But then on the other side of that too it's not just about having deterrent but are people proactively encouraging you to like pursue your interests are they saying oh you're you seem really analytical have you thought about doing maths or chemistry or something like that you know do you get that proactive encouragement because i think that's actually really important as well i think if you just leave people to it they're going to fall into those social norms aren't they because of those peer pressures and things yeah definitely oh, i never got any of that at school I was never proactively pushed towards different things other than go to sixth form, get some A-levels and then off to uni. There was no discussions around the subjects either, especially STEM subjects. So I do think there's a lot to do with awareness in schools. I don't know, Alice, if you you know, were ever put off at all or even educated and made aware of those options in your schooling. So no, I wasn't. It was never something that was discussed with me. None of my friends went into engineering. Even during lessons, it wasn't encouraged when I went into sick form, which I did in Hong Kong. It wasn't encouraged for me to do maths or physics. It was discouraged. I was the only female in the class and the only Westerner. It was quite different. Um, and it wasn't encouraged to go into engineering. The only time I really found out about it was when I was in one of those careers lessons and they gave me a book of subjects that were done at universities. And it was only when I was flicking through that did I find out, you know, you don't just have mechanical engineering, you've got tissue engineering and manufacturing, but there's quite niche subjects within that. And that was something that I was never aware of. And it was only when I looked through the book did I find out no one ever suggested in my journey towards university this could be good or have you thought about this? And I think that's where schools are lacking. STEM needs to be taught and encouraged at a much deeper level, at a much younger level, in order for us to be able to create a pipeline of people for the future. Because you don't know what you don't know. And if it's not being discussed with you, how how are you meant to know that, you know, your skill set might be catered towards something like that? And we're pushed images of engineers being people dirty and hard hats and like, mud up to their waist which is just not the case (laughs) and it's those kind of images that you're sent and they're majority men in the images as well so it just reinforces stereotypes which doesn't help our industry move forward no no you're right it's all about the representation and education so obviously awareness is a huge huge factor here what do you think that we can do as people employers those influencers those school teachers or career advisors like what exactly do you think we should be doing to improve on this awareness? I think there's so much that we can be doing and I think there is so much that we Schneider are already doing so simply from things that we have 
people working on STEM who go into schools. We have people to our Coventry office and we show them our products. We almost cater like lessons for them. Um, that is part of the curriculum. So we help with things like that. We take some people on work experience. We do a bit of internships. We even go into quite young primary schools. I think that that all makes a difference. Even things such as going home at the end of your day and talking to your nieces, your nephews, your your children about what you do and the kind of company you work at. And that can really raise awareness as well, because, you know, they then go to school and spread that to their friends who may never have heard of engineering or that kind of industry and what it's like. And I think that's so important. So, Alice, obviously, you've gone down this route, you've gone into engineering, you've joined Schneider Electric. Well, have you come up against any of your own personal experiences being a female engineer that has really proven to you that there still needs to be a massive, massive increase in um, raising awareness around this subject? I have. I actually had an experience not so long ago where I was on site as an engineer. So had a high vis on, hard hat, you know, the normal attire that you'd go to site in. And I got to site, a site I'd been to many times. And one of the men at the beginning of when I got into site stopped me. And he said, oh, sorry, cleaners go that way. Wow. And there was a bit of a silence and I said oh you know I'm not a cleaner I'm working on the PME system and it was quite awkward mainly because I think he felt so embarrassed Mm. he'd made an assumption because everyone who goes on that site who is female pretty much is a cleaner and therefore he assumed I was the same I can't blame him for thinking that because that is what he saw as the norm I think it highlighted to him that, you know, not all women coming to site are cleaners and that he shouldn't make that assumption. And moving forward, I don't think he will ever make that mistake again. It's really educated him. And, you know, when he goes home or he talks to other people at work, he'll probably tell them that story and it will raise awareness with them as well, which is really important. Because it could be because something quite simple as just the question he asked you was the wrong question. He could have easily said, are you okay? Do you know where you're going? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm working on site. And he goes, okay, that's fine. But like you say, there's a hidden bias there or an assumption being made. And I think it obviously sounds like the guy's very apologetic, which is good to hear and things. But I think beyond that, it's it's a genuine assumption that's made. And while those assumptions are still being made, it means there's barriers. Exactly. I think it is important, though, that afterwards we laughed about it together which I think really helped because it put him at ease. And at the same time, it made something that was quite awkward, actually, in some ways, almost slightly amusing in yeah. order for him to be able to kind of accept what happened. So another example, not so recently that happened, but while I was on the graduate scheme, was I did a night shift at a manufacturing plant, a small one, with a few engineers. And when we got site, I'd been there for a few hours and I needed the bathroom. So I asked the customer where the bathroom was and he kind of stopped a bit and looked at me and said, we, we don't have a female bathroom. You'll have to use the male one, at which I said, that's OK. So I had to get one of the engineers to kind of wait for me to make sure no one went into the bathroom. She had to go past urinals to get to the, you know, the toilets. And I think it really, really highlighted to them, firstly, that actually this is an issue because it's not something they ever would have noticed because they go on about their day, you know, there's no women that come to site really. So it never would have been highlighted to him. It was only when I asked the question, where are the female bathrooms or even the disabled bathrooms? 
that it raised an issue with him that they didn't actually have that. And I mm. think, you know, moving forward, that's something that they're going to look into. But at the same time, it's just something at the time that I laughed about with the engineers. You just make sure you sing while you're in the bathroom or make some noise so that people know that you're in there <laughs> and they don't walk in. Because at the end of the day, it's going to be more embarrassing for them if I walk out and it is awkward. But that does happen sometimes on smaller sites. We're not there yet with having female bathrooms or even disabled bathrooms, which shows that there's a huge gap in diversity. I think these, you know, these are the examples that scare me a little bit because they are so basic. I mean, we mm-hmm. spoke about these issues as well recently, didn't we, Alison? And you kind of said, yeah, you know, they're, they're, a, they're a minor thing, really, and kind of shrugged them off a little bit. But that kind of worries me a bit more because if, if we can't get these simple things right because they are so basic, how do we ever start to solve some of these bigger issues? And I think um, going to your first example, Alice, I think it's also an educational piece, right? Like we've got to remember that all our experiences, and as you mentioned, are so different. Like if a woman's never come on site before, et cetera, that's not your fault, but you've just never been exposed to it, right? So it's just like, huh, okay. And, and it's actually checking those biases on a regular basis, number one. But also, I think it's all about like changing the narrative a bit. So, you know, and I think it starts from if you think back, like, you know, if that's not the environment that they are, then how can we change that? Is it starting from, you know, educating them, but also starting from the basics from when we are at school and when we're just talking in general. So, for example, you know, changing it like, oh, only girls do that or just making jokes along those lines or even when if there isn't a toilet, you know, that's available, changing that narrative to say, well, actually, well, what can we do about this now? You know, you can make a joke about it. You you can, I mean, you could just say, actually, you know, I'll suck it up and I'll go and do it. But actually, well, that's okay for you. But what about other women or other genders that, you know, don't, wouldn't appreciate that? So what can you do to instill those changes? And if it's something theoretical, great, but also something practical. Yeah, it's something that businesses really, really need to tackle. And, you know, People are on their way to opening up these subjects and doing more. And with, the, you know, the drive to bring more female talent into businesses, especially into STEM, like it is going to be a huge factor that needs to change and and quickly if we're driving that. And speaking of driving more women into these types of businesses and these types of industries, you hear the discussions around positive discrimination here to really try and put some focus into that. What do we think about it? Do we think this is the right thing to do or or do we think we're going down the wrong route to try and attract these women into these industries? I think that's a hard question. I mean, I personally want to be hired for my ability, but I also want the opportunity in the first place. So I think positive discrimination is fine when it's carefully managed, but you still have to be the right person and it can't be a box ticking exercise. Yeah, no one wants to think they got a job just purely based on their gender, do they? It is around your talent and the skill set and, you know, what you can bring to to that business. Yeah, this is a topic that I find really interesting. Some people might say discrimination is discrimination, but if you've historically been denied opportunities due to reasons out of your control, then balancing the scales a little bit does seem fair, doesn't it? I mean, I'd be absolutely gutted personally if I missed out on a future opportunity because I didn't tick the right demographic boxes. But I totally understand that this has actually been a reality for many people. So you kind of just have to understand the bigger picture, don't you? Things like that. But I think it's also about understanding when you are in that hiring position or 
or when you're looking, it's also about absolutely you compare the differences, but actually you also need to think about, well, what other experiences does that person bring outside of what is on paper? So yes, they may have done this, they may have done this, they may have done this. And I think it's about, again, changing that narrative, but actually they would see this perspective or they would see this perspective because of their background. And, and maybe that would only come up through interview. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of marrying that mix between the two. So the other interesting thing here is positive discrimination versus positive action. So positive action, it's a form of encouragement to increase candidates for a post. And that kind of maybe sounds a bit more aligned to like what you just said, Alice, you know, you kind of want to have the same opportunities, you want to go for those same kind of roles, you know, but ultimately you're going to get a role because you're best suited for that role. But you need to encourage people to apply in the first place because that can be a bit of a block as well, can't it? Exactly. You need to be able to get yourself in the pipeline to then compete as a talented individual, really. We need to market roles in a way that they will attract women to our business and for other businesses to do exactly the same to to get yourself in the running um, for these positions. But linking in from that, really, I've seen a lot of articles recently talking about imposter syndrome. You know, I do wonder whether women are more susceptible to imposter syndrome and you know feeling that they're good enough for these roles like what what do you think about that like why do you think that might be so I'd agree I feel women are more susceptible to imposter syndrome and I think that's for several reasons I think one key one can be that you don't necessarily have women role models in higher up positions and therefore there's not always a clear path of which way to go and I think that can make it really challenging As a way to counteract this, things like mentorship are really, really important. And I think having a coach, a mentor, a sponsor in the workplace allows women to find support, encouragement in their workplace. It can also result in them feeling less isolated and having a relationship with another person can help them feel more connected. No, I, th- I think that's I think that's really great, right? I mean, not imposter syndrome, but having a mentor. And I have seen statistics, you know, comparing males and females with imposter syndrome. And I think, you know, it is more present in females, but it doesn't mean that it isn't present in males because I, I get imposter syndrome sometimes as well, too. You know, like I, I might question the value I bring sometimes or, you know, I think, oh, am I good enough if, if I've got a particularly difficult project or issue happening? And I worry, you know, do people think I deserve to be here and things like that? And, and you do doubt yourself sometimes right because there's all kinds of things that can go into thinking like that and I was talking to someone just the other day as well and we were kind of talking about this feeling of doubt and she kind of said that what she started doing is just writing down a few things that she's achieved in the last week or month like to do with her role or the the area she's a little bit concerned about just to remind her that yeah I'm doing a good job I deserve to be here and I actually loved that so I started to think about things that I'm particularly proud of you know not to go and shout at anyone or anything like that but just for my own affirmation really and I think there's a place there as well for I use mentors too because sometimes you just want to talk to someone about these challenges understand things have a bit of reassurance as well and I think it's absolutely something regardless of of gender background all that kind of thing I think you know be aware of imposter syndrome try and get over that try and build a network of support around you as well where you can have open discussions you know build your confidence ask maybe difficult questions as well and I think that's all really helpful you know no matter who you are where you're from yeah I agree and I think that idea of reminding yourself about the things you've achieved is a really really great tip 
for people because I don't think many reflect on the good things that they have done that day, that week, that month, that year. So I think that's a great tip. And, you know, speaking of tips, that's a great way for us to finish, really. It would be interesting to understand from Alice, you know, what top tips to to women or anyone really who's trying to break down barriers in their life, in the in the workplace. What kind of advice would you give? I guess my advice would be yourself. Always be yourself. Don't whoever you see in maybe a different role or whatever, don't don't try and be like someone else. As long as you're authentic, there's nothing that you can't do. So recognize your own strengths and weaknesses and have the confidence to go for things that challenge you and take you out of your comfort zone. So I think that's really important because even though that might seem daunting, those really challenging things that you do can reap the greatest rewards. So on that beautifully philosophical note, Alice, I think we'll, we'll we'll end the interview. But I mean, thank you so much for joining us today. I, that was really insightful for me. It's been a really great discussion, really interesting. So yeah, again, from all of us, just thank you so much for, for coming along. But I know that you're sticking around for the quiz today. So this week, I'm handing the question baton back to the quiz master, Carmel. So Carmel, what do you have for us? Well, so Alice, I'm going to actually ask that you take part in this quiz. That's okay. You will be competing against the reigning champion, Emma and Rob. But anyway, (laughs) so we are going to kick this off. And Alice, the rules are, they're pretty much on a rule set. Don't Google the answer. Okay, shout out what's at the top of your head. And I'll tally up the points and let you know who won at the end. Okay. Okay, and no one questions the quiz master. Don't forget that. Okay, (laughs) so... Number one, who was the author of Julian at the Wedding? There's no multiple choice here. Oh, wow. I'll ask again. This is cruel. I like who multiple choice. is the author of Julian at the Wedding? If you were listening, you will know. I have no idea. <laughs> no. Any answers? Clearly, I'm not a good listener. Any no. answers? Neither am I. I just really Minus wish I could Google. one for all of you. If anyone can tell me what was the key message from Julian at the wedding, I will give you half a point. <laughs> oh, oh my God. <laughs> it was like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Do you know what? out you're out you're all on minus one i'm going on to number two. Oh, actually let me tell the answer the answer was jessica love and the key message was acceptance and true love okay oh, i know gosh. it was two ladies getting married can i get a bonus point no <laughs> which country was the first to lawfully establish same-sex marriage i'm gonna was give it you the u.s okay you got the u.s the uk okay Rob? Uh, Sweden. It was actually the Netherlands. Oh, so close. Oh, yeah. Okay. And moving on from that question, Alice, when you answer the UK, what year was homosexuality decriminalised in the UK? The options are 1923, 1967 or 1973? 1973. Yeah, 1973. Oh, that was my gut too, but I'm going to be different. I'll go for 67 just to be different. The answer is 67. Oh, what? Mm. Which city is generally agreed to be the unofficial gay capital of the UK? Manchester. I'll go with Brighton. I'm just going to go with London. Okay, it's Brighton. 
Ah, oh gosh, Rob. He's I'm winning. killing it. Yes. And the final question of this quiz is, how many countries criminalise the LGBTQ plus community? Are we is it multiple, multiple choice? choice or is it close to uh, Okay, I'll give you multiple choice. A is 27, B is 43, and C is 28. I, I'm going to be a pessimist. I, I think it might still be quite high. I just want to go with 43. Okay. I'm Alice? I'm going to go with 28. I'm going to go with 28. The answer is 43. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's actually crazy. I, I knew it was quite high. Yeah. Wow. So thank you, everyone. Thank you for taking part. The winner for today, an anomaly. I cannot <laughs> believe it, everyone. It is Rob Insult. I'd like to thank the Academy, <laughs> my parents. Oh, Emma will be winning again next week. I am so think. upset. I've lost my crown. Alice, thank you so much for taking part, honestly. Always a pleasure speaking to you, Alice. And you've just given us a lot of food for thought. And I hope all the listeners do as well. Right. We've got to close then. It's time to say goodbye. So if you have any questions, feedback, or want to suggest some topics for the next episode, please send them to thegbb at se.com. And you can find us on blog.se.com, Spotify, Apple, and your favorite podcast library. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time. The content of this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. The information, statements, views and opinions belong to our hosts and should not be construed as advice by Schneider Electric.